Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. Thanks so much for tuning into Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Amber Van Arik about lesbian separatism. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, could you give us a bit of background information about yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, to start with, I, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> um, and uh, my background um, is uh, I have a first class honours degree studying history, specifically researching lesbian history. And then um, prior to that, in my undergrad, um, I did history and politics and I focused on um, feminist history and the history of women's oppression as well as uh, the history of lesbian and gays in the West. Um, I also have a background in uh, grassroots women's rights activism and that uh, introduced me to a lot of uh, lesbian culture and lesbian history in regards to activism and and even uh, lesbian separatism, that's how I got introduced to it, by just being in those social circles and these women from that era just talking about their experiences. And I realised that, um, yeah, that history is not really recorded uh, both in the public and in, like, academic circles. And so I just started to read as much as I could get access to voraciously. And when my honours came up, I thought, well, this is perfect to start studying and, and researching and, and get that information on record, yeah. So how was your research conducted into lesbian separatism? Um, so I basically began with the problem that lesbian history is marginalised and very little of lesbian contributions are acknowledged or recorded and those which are are so difficult to find and access. You know, you have to have a a university library access or or even, you know, go to your local library and get books sent to you. And even then they're, you know, incredibly expensive or difficult or no longer in print. Um, so my initial research revealed very little information about the perspectives of lesbian separatists who are actually there. So I aimed to collect the stories of women from that era, the 1970s and up to the late 80s, who practised separatism um, focusing on Western Australian examples, but of course I wanted to include women all over Australia who just had some experience of, of Western Australian separatism um, to know what it was like um, and how it came about from their perspective and their words um, and compare that to broader examples. Were they similar? Were they different? Um, how did uh, they develop community and identity how did they connect with one another and, and what, were the cult, what was the culture like? So I did uh, a narrative chronology of their stories, which is basically um, a small number of participants 
um, and uh, you basically reconstruct their their recollections, their life stories into a narrative, um, looking at um, you know conflict and, and resolution particularly, um, and then I analyze that using structural and thematic analysis to look at the similarities and differences and compare that to not only each other but to broader uh, experiences of separatism all over the world. Um, and uh, basically I just tried to collaborate with these women um, in order to understand their perspective and meaning using their words rather than um, imposing an outsider perspective. Would you have a definition for lesbian separatism? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's quite varied in practice, um, but ultimately I define it as the physical, emotional and or psychological separation from males and often heterosexual women as well, um, while centering the needs and experiences of lesbians. Um, but because it varies um, due to location, um, it can be considered a short-term strategy or a lifelong lifestyle. It can be very hard-lined, no mouths, no meat, no machines. That's the <laughs> phrase. And then it can also be like, you know, heterosexual women are welcome and boy children are welcome. It just depends on um, where it's located and, and influences of like culture and political ideology and things like that. Um, so it's often been considered as a, a continuum so you've got like it ranges from like a realignment of identification and commitment. Um, so changing your male alignment to patriarchy towards more of a woman and lesbian alignment. Um, and then as well as avoiding uh, heterosexist influence, like not consuming media made by men um, and uh, not uh, getting involved with politics with men. And then also withdrawal from the company of men and supporting men or male-focused institutions, um, drawing participation from groups and institutions or events which have men in them or are male-focused, things like that. Um, and it also involved a denial of male access to women and girls. So under patriarchy, women and girls are considered unconditionally accessible to men, which leads them to being powerless. So in order to uh, address that powerlessness, and shift the power into women's hands, women denied men access to themselves and their spaces. And under patriarchy, uh, lesbianism has been viewed as women removing themselves from men's access already, claiming their own space and their own power. And I think lesbian separatism takes that even further, making it not only bodily and social denial of access, but territorial and cultural too. Um, and I think that element is difficult for some women to understand or even empathise with because it confronts patriarchy so significantly and in a way that uh, cannot be hidden or disguised. It's a very firm boundary and that can be difficult for, for some people to accept. Um, but ultimately, I think lesbian separatism allows lesbians to, to develop uh, a political consciousness and formulate ideas to resist, challenge and overthrow oppressive systems. Now, why do you think this era of history has received little attention? Um, so women's history is already marginalised because women are marginalised, right? Um, but due to our sexuality, lesbians are even further marginalised. So our history, our experiences and our knowledge is deemed unworthy of record. 
um, as if it's little to no importance. And if our stories have managed to be recorded, they're relegated to the niche. So difficult to find and access, as I've talked about. So it's important for us to be able to access these tangible records of our history as women and as lesbians, um, because it demonstrates that we have existed for centuries. We're not an anomaly, we're important and we made contributions to the shaping of history and society and that the treatment we receive by society both in the past and today is unjust. So by giving attention to lesbian history, we can reduce the stigma we face today. Um, and I think lesbian separatism in particular is considered embarrassing and dated and rigid and exclusionary even by feminists. Um, so they prefer not to discuss it. Uh, which I don't particularly understand because um, we don't really do this with any other form of history that may be seen as dated or not in the political vogue in the present. We look at them within the context they were developed and explore how they influence where we are now, examining the mistakes and potential benefits they made. So I think it's a bit ridiculous that certain periods of the past are brushed under the rug because they don't fit the current narrative. Um, no matter how influential they were at the time that they emerged. Um, and lesbian separatism was very, well, lesbian culture even, lesbian political culture was so influential in that time. Um, so you rarely hear in the feminist public discussions about lesbians in of itself and their involvement in feminist history. And then you add on that the very rare discussion of lesbian politics, particularly separatism, and when it is discussed, it's just denigrated and, and kind of um, criticised as if it had little uh, in influence and, and little positive benefit to women's history. What is lesbian identity? So uh, I think lesbian identity is twofold. You have the sexual orientation and then the subjective, historical, political and cultural context we apply to being a lesbian. So as we know, lesbianism is exclusively same-sex attraction to women and this sexual orientation has existed throughout history and across cultures. However, on top of that, we have the identity that lesbians have, which is informed by subjective contexts like time, location, culture, socioeconomic background, race, religious affiliation and political alignment. Um, for example, in the past, a woman may have called, may not have called themselves a lesbian. They may have used the term um, or been labelled with the term like invert or sapphist or woman-loving woman. And, um, and in the past as well, lesbians were considered unnatural or deviant and, and in some places in the present as well, um, a sickness and a disease. Um, and it's only until the recent past with the enormous efforts of activists in homophile movement and gay liberation, women's liberation and lesbian feminist movements, that lesbianism has been considered natural. Um, so um, we don't want to discount previous stories where they didn't necessarily use the term lesbian um, because it was a term that they may not have even heard of or was considered um, something to be highly stigmatised. So it's important to... Um, apply uh, consideration of context when we're looking at lesbian history um, and that the notion of identity may not be as straightforward as it is today um, and women in the past who were same-sex attracted may not have described themselves as such in, in such easy to understand terms um, 
So when you're looking at lesbian identity, you want to keep in mind all the variety of histories and stories and, and meanings that can be constituted as a part of that. So what was the, what's the history of the segregation and how did it begin? Um, so uh, there's a difference between um, segregation and separatism. Um, segregation is usually the um, forceful separation of two groups. So you look at, you know, in the US, the American um, uh, um, segregation of, of white people and black people and and that was top-down, whereas separation or separatism is bottom-up. So you have marginalised people. So, for example, people in the Black Power movement in the US separating from white people, their oppressors, or in the case of lesbians, separating from heterosexual people who are their oppressors and, um, and finding spaces for themselves to, uh, to heal from that oppressive system, to figure out who they are as lesbians to understand what it's like to be women outside of these definitions that have been imposed on, onto them. So um, there are plenty of examples of women or even lesbians living away from men um, throughout history. You look at convents and communes and artist colonies and all this kind of stuff. But the political practice began in the 1970s and it was a reaction to the homophobia and misogyny experienced in specifically left-wing activist circles during the 1960s. So uh, lesbians were involved in these groups like the New Left and Gay Liberation and Women's Liberation, and they were facing all this oppression, either sexism, misogyny or homophobia. And so they began to, in, re in retaliation to that, they began to split away and form lesbian-only groups to focus on their needs um, which were constantly being sidelined um, by the left. Um, and they had um, many ideological influences, um, so including their leftist background in activism, the anti-authoritarian, anti-capitalist and revolutionary influences there. And then they also had, during that time in the 1960s and 70s, there was this movement called Back to the Land. So that inspired lesbian separatists to uh, establish women's lands and live sustainably and um, engage with the natural environment on a um, more equal term rather than a, a ownership and hierarchy terms. And there was also, as mentioned, the, the Black Power movement was actually an influence, um, particularly in the US, for lesbian separatists because uh, they were pursuing um, a, a distinct identity-based culture within positive terms. So they were looking to try and find a culture that was defining either black identity for the black power movement or lesbian identity for the lesbian separatist movement in positive ways rather than being surrounded by all that negative definition, as well as um, turning away from oppressive systems in order to heal, and then the importance of merging theory and action to achieve change. Um, so uh, examples of separatism were both urban and rural. Um, you had in urban areas, separatism began with the formation of lesbian activist groups and then squats and share houses came from that. So you're, if you were a separatist at the time, you're engaged in your politics pretty much 24-7. So you're going to these activist groups and you realise, well, if I'm here all the time, I might as well live with these women that I'm constantly being um, involved in politically. 
So that's kind of how it came about. And then you would also have um, lesbian-only social and political spaces as well. So you'd have, like, um, uh, for example, in Western Australia, we had, like, Women for Survival, had a little uh, office space where anyone could come in and find out what this was about. And these were all lesbian separatists as well. And then you had, like, a women's dance at the local university or in a, um, in a public location, um, like a bar or something, and th- this would be, like, women-only or lesbian-only. So that was all happening in urban spaces. And then in rural areas, um, lesbians began uh, either turning pre-owned land that they had into collective lesbian-only space or finding land um, and then often collectively purchasing it and developing it into women's land over time. And um, most of the lesbians who established women's lands were actually from the suburbs or even from the city, Um, but there were country women involved as well. It was just less likely. Um, and there was lots of uh, international communication happening at the time through bookshops and publishing houses and conferences and things like that. So these ideas were being shared across borders and that influenced a lot of women um, to begin practising separatism themselves. You know, so they might read a paper written by someone in the US or the UK and Australia. They go, oh, this is a fantastic idea. We should do this. And, and so they just do it. They just start it. And, it would just, uh, and then that would be spread to another state in Australia and then another one. Um, so it was a great time of possibility and revolutionary politics for lesbians at the time, yeah. Yeah, I've heard some really good stories, especially about squats in the UK mm. and, you know, that they'd, they'd sort of just take over, lesbians would take over a whole street and, you know, then there'd be like gangs of men coming in and throwing bricks and everything and they'd defend themselves and, you know, they, they were quite incredible, weren't they? Yes, um, I've similar stories in my research of women just um, have facing so much hostility from men, like throwing things, slashing their tires, trying to um, uh, intimidate them, and they just band together and they scare the crap out of these men, you know, and just you know being public and being together, a big group of women saying no, you're not going to intimidate us, would be enough to make them turn to heel and run away. <laughs> So um, what, was the, um, what was the framework and, and research design uh, you used for this study? Um, so I had two frameworks. I had feminist theory um, shaping the design. So that's all about um, trying to raise women's voices and demystifying uh, women's history by putting things on the record. So I I applied that to lesbian history. Um, And it's all about focusing on marginalised stories so that you can address that hidden history, that knowledge gap that we have, Um, and um, the invisibility that exists, um, and show that that invisibility is intentional um, uh, rather than something that just kind of exists because, well, you know, women or lesbians in particular didn't contribute anything. So that's why there's no history. It's like, well, no, it's actually because it's intentionally not recorded in order to further marginalise us. Um, And also feminist theory uh, involves collaborative, non-exploitative relationships with the participants that you work with, um, which means I had to be transparent about what my research was about um, and allow the participants to provide as much feedback as possible. So there was a lot of um, conversations happening when I was interviewing them and then transcribing what they'd said and I'd ask for feedback on, 
um, the transcription and just say, you know, was this accurate? Is there anything else you want to add? Um, and use their words as much as possible. Um, and then I also used uh, lesbian feminist theory, um, but I used it as a cultural lens. So when you're doing research uh, about a culture that you may not be well versed in, um, uh, particularly theories which directly relate to and discuss that culture in depth, it's um, a good idea to uh, use um, that theoretical framework so that you um, understand about the culture overall um, and uh, have that kind of knowledge base when you're engaging with these people that are involved in the culture so that you're not, like, coming from more of an outsider perspective. Um, and you can also use it then to analyse whether the information you're receiving from participants actually reflects the information that these um, writings about the culture say. Sometimes, you know, you could read as much as you want about lesbian feminist theory, but when you actually talk to the women, it doesn't reflect what's been written. Um, so it's good to um, have that information in the background when you're talking to these women so that you can see, like, okay, well, what, what is being said about these women and is that accurate? So what were the limitations in ethics? Um, so human research subjects require ethical considerations uh, uh, for things like psychological and social risks. So because I was speaking... Um, to lesbians and asking questions about their sexuality and their past, which could have included and did include traumatic experiences and potential illegal activity. I had to ensure their safety and privacy through things like anonymity. So I used pseudonyms for their names and any locations that they felt could identify them um, and which I also felt could identify them. Um, and you also need to ensure that your participants are fully aware about what the research is about and um, receive informed consent. And then also you have to go through an ethics review and be approved by an ethics review board, um, which can be a pretty intimidating process for me in particular because I had to not only justify my research because um, they were concerned that it would not be worthwhile um, because of the subject matter, but also the method I was using. So the small amount of participants made them think that it could be a waste of time. So um, I had to justify my research a lot. But I think ultimately it's beneficial to do that because it means that your arguments are stronger and you kind of develop them as you go as you're justifying yourself. Um, so, yeah, I, it's tough, but I think it's worth it to, to go through that process. Um, in regards to limitations, um, I had a couple major ones. The biggest one, I think, was time. So I had just under three months to do my uh, recruiting process, uh, consent, interviews, transcriptions and feedback and all of that, and then analysing it and writing out my thesis. Um, and so <laughs> it was very stressful <laughs> to do it in such a short period of time, um, especially when you're uh, organising time with, um, with uh, other people who have you know, their own schedules and things like that. So um, that was a massive limitation. Um, but I also think another limitation was trust and level of comfort these women had about speaking about their past. So uh, some women were very open to speaking with me, um, while others were concerned about who I was and, and whether I could be trusted. So I was lucky in that I had connections in the lesbian community who could vouch for me. Um, 
because despite being a lesbian and also someone who has um, a leftist activist history, I was still seen as an outsider because I wasn't super involved in the community at the time. Um, so if it wasn't for these women, I, I don't think any WA women would have spoken to me. Um, so that's why I recommend getting involved in the community early, early on so you're making yourself known so that you can um, not be seen as an outsider. Um, and I think the other major limitation I had was um, getting in touch with and potentially interviewing women of colour, particularly Indigenous lesbians who may have identified as lesbian separatists or were involved in these spaces but um, may, may not have identified as separatists while they were there. Um, I hope to do that in the future in my research um, because I think it will provide some necessary insights on what it was like to be a lesbian during that time and, and the priorities that women had. Um, but as I was talking about being considered an outsider for um, trying to contact lesbians, I think the same is for women of colour. Like I need to prove myself trustworthy as an outsider um, and prove that my whiteness means that I won't misrepresent their stories, and that can take time. Um, and so I didn't have enough time to do that for my honours, but I hope to do that in the future. Um, and there's also the, the something that I've been thinking about is also whether I am qualified to represent women of colour stories. Um, is my place as a white person um, right to, to do that? Um, so, yeah, those are kind of the limitations that I had and that I will potentially still have in the future. Great. Oh, well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thank you for having me. And I've been speaking with Ander Van Arik about lesbian separatism. Well, that's all we have time for today. Hope you've liked the program and do stay tuned for Swing and Sway. Fantastic.